Welcome, everyone, to episode 15 of the Fly Guys podcast. My name is Justin Goodart, and across the monitor is Cameron Klein. Cameron, good to see you as always. We had less technical difficulties this time around than we did last time, and for once, it wasn't on my side, it was on your <laughs> side, so you are to blame for all of it. Yes, yeah, that was my bad. That was my bad, but we're good. We got it rolling, so we're good. We're rocking, we're rolling. We got, we got it rolling now. There's a lot to talk about uh, right now, because we actually finally have some news or something worth talking about in terms of hockey. The NHL is trying to work towards a return to play and talking more specifically about the playoff format. They want to go to a 24-team play-in. I guess that is in a way to kind of make up for the fact that teams that were close to making the playoffs but were just on the outside looking in right now would not be in the playoffs. So this would be their way of saying, hey, tough luck, but we got your back this time. Yeah, yeah, I think... I've seen some some people upset with it. There's some criticisms for it. I think no matter what they were planning on doing, there's going to be some criticism from somewhere. So it, that's that's kind of what you're expecting anyway. Um, but I think that's look as a Flyers fan, it's like I don't really care because we were already in a spot. But if I if we weren't, I absolutely would love the 24 team format. I think that's relatively fair because there's a lot of teams that were on the bubbles. Prime example, the New York Rangers. As much as we hate them, I think they're a team that deserves a chance at at a playoff run because they were they were becoming pretty hot toward the end and really tying tying some things together with their their key players like Mika Zibanejad and whatnot. So I I'm happy with it. I I if it means that sports are coming back, if it means that hockey's coming back, then I say go right ahead. There's a lot of people that I think feel like you. There there there's people that are just so desperate to have any form of sports. Sure, you, you, you want to have, I think I saw this one great tweet, you want to have Detroit Red Wings and San Jose Sharks in the in the Stanley Cup Finals? Fine, do it, do it, we don't care. I would tune into anything. that game right now if it was on. <laughs> yeah. I, I have standards. I, my standards haven't been broken <laughs> just yet. <laughs> but, you know, it does bring up this this talk of, okay, okay, so 24 teams, what would the format look like? We haven't seen what the format would necessarily look like put out for the NHL, but our... But f- Flyers own Jason Mertidis, he put out what he thought the bracket could look like, and I thought it was very interesting. He has it so the top two teams from each division would have a quote-unquote bye week, so theoretically, the way that this has it, that he has it working out, he would have the winner of Columbus and the Islanders go play Boston, the winner of Pittsburgh and Montreal would go to Philadelphia to play the Flyers, uh, he would have New York and Toronto, and the winner of that go go play Tampa Bay before I go into even to the rest of these matchups we can get into the rest of these matchups what do you think about the possibility of giving the top two teams from each division kind of like a bye week going into the playoffs I do you think that that's beneficial to them do you think that that might actually work against them what are your thoughts honestly with with the sport like hockey I think that would actually work against them believe it or not especially with football it's a little bit different too like that's that's obviously the NFL's format that's been their format for for a pretty long time um but at the same time it's different when you go from you know playing a full season, missing one week, and then playing again. Then it's like okay, that's a beneficial break. But something like this, I would want my team to get get right back into it. I would not want my team sitting there, allowing two other teams play, compete, actually be a part of that atmosphere, be a part of that energy, while my team's just sitting. And then my team has to get up off the couch and get all that energy from from pretty much nowhere, from scratch, while the other team is already kind of vibing off of winning a playoff series. See, I'm on the different side of this. The way that I look at it is I see my team being able to get a little bit more cohesion in practice and kind of get back to the fundamentals of hockey because you know that those two teams, you know, that's going to be a be- that would be a best-of-three situation or a best-of-five situation. I-, I think they actually talked about maybe being a best-of-three. So that's going to be sloppy hockey regardless. I don't expect a team like the Penguins or the Canadians to necessarily have it all figured out after three to five games, and then all of a sudden they're headed towards Philadelphia, a team that was playing its best hockey back in early March, and a team that as they work together in practice, they get that cohesion. They kind of, you know, like, okay, this is what we were doing then. This is what, we're, what we can continue to do. They get more time to rest, and believe me, the rest might feel like, oh, that's not that big of a deal. Rest is everything in hockey because you're going to jump right back into playing believe these athletes are going to get tired real quick real quickly that's true that's true it's i think it's one of those things where there's going to be people on both sides of the debate um and of course those people are going to think that they are 100 percent right that teams should not be playing or teams should be playing or they shouldn't have a bye week it's going to hurt them it's going to harm them but it's one of those things that until we see it happen we won't really know um because i think you make a very very valid point i think I, i'm making a valid point it's 
it's one of those things we don't know until it happens. Um, but yeah, six one zero six three two zero nine zero nine seven five. Yeah, <laughs> check us out. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, for, I, I that would actually this would be a great segment to have people call in on it and, and and give their opinion. Because um, I don't really know. I, I really don't like. I it, it's very well, interesting. the way that I look at it again. You you have you get more rest. Yes. You have the opportunity to practice more with your teammates. Mm-hmm. You get also get the opportunity to watch how your potential playoff is opponent true. is playing. This is so true. That's, now, I will say that the bye week in the NFL is is not a given. Some teams do lose right out of the bye week. The Baltimore Ravens this year were the best team in football, and they got spanked by Ryan Tannehill and the Tennessee Titans. I see that grin on your face, Cameron. Your boy Ryan Tannehill destroying the hopes it's, of Lamar Jackson and the it, Baltimore Ravens. It's not just that it was Ryan Tannehill doing it. I I just I can't stand Baltimore. Uh, so it was it was two things that really made me happy gonna, about it. We're but, gonna finish yeah. up our point about the playoff yeah, format, but right. I, w- I want to talk to you about it because I don't know what that's all about. Your hatred of the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, I I have a story associated with it actually. Yeah. We'll we'll, we'll have to get to that later. Yeah. But I I think ultimately, a return to play would be. I mean, it would be phenomenal. I think a lot of people have accepted in their heart. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. I think a lot of people are starting to kind of hedge their hopes on the NFL returning. Yeah, and... I, I'm I'm one of them. I'm. I'm excited for it, but I'm holding a little bit of my excitement. I'm I'm preparing myself to be disappointed. I, I I'm with you there. I think that I'm I'm kind of the same way. But you know, over there are other sports too that are trying to get back to work. The NBA is trying to I, I really don't know how the NBA is gonna do it because I just I feel like they're gonna make it to a point and they're talking about the same thing in baseball. They're talking about like bubble cities and keeping people like locked in their hotel room. I'm just I'm not convinced that the NBA will come back. Baseball is a whole different can of worms that's been opened up because yeah. of what's going on between the owners and the players. Uh, and then Blake Schnell with his quote of the year, bro, I'm risking my life out there. <laughs> yeah, and he's getting all sorts of crap for it too, man. He's he really was, he's really blowing up on the Twitter mentions. I really didn't think he was wrong in what he said. I didn't no. think that there was necessarily – like he was right. You know, he, he is risking his life. I mean – I guess, but the thing was is that I don't necessarily believe that the that the owners should have been able to just renege on their own initial deal. They signed yeah. this deal, and they signed it in good faith, and now they're trying to you know go backsies on it because now they're concerned that they're not gonna they're that they're gonna be losing too much money. Everyone's losing money in this instance, and I yeah. really don't think that the players should be punished more, or yeah. they should have to accept a new deal that's gonna cost them even more money for the sake of the owners being able to, I guess, stem the tide a little bit. And the other thing too is, at the end of the day, you hear this argument all the time. Those those players are the reason why people watch. They're the one producing the game, so you, you got to show them respect. Because if, if if out for them, you have no product, you have no money, you have no business. They're, they're now, the one driving it. The worst thing that Blake Schnell could have done was actually make a statement on it. Because at this stage, when we're in the climate that we are right now, this guy was making $77 million on his base contract. And he said, okay, that they're taking half of that already because the half of the season's gone. Okay, so that's $3.5 million. And then like another 30% of that's going to be gone. So that... Brings him down, I think, a little below $2 million. Let's just say it's $1.8 million. He's still making $1.8 million. So when he said that, it came across as an incredibly tone-deaf statement. And for a lot of people who aren't working right now, or a lot of people that can't even get on unemployment, and you've certainly gone down that road of having to try and get on unemployment. Yeah, it was was a nightmare, yeah. I can understand why everyone is saying that, you know what, both sides are acting ridiculous. There is no right or wrong side. Both of them are just dumb at this point, which I think is a pretty fair argument. It might even be the correct one. I think so, too. Yeah. So that's where we're at in sports right now. I mean, it feels like like every day – I shouldn't even say that. Every day is always a different feeling. Some days you feel like we're not getting anything back. Other days you feel like we're getting close. And then you have days like this where it's like it's all just talk. It's yeah. talk of when uh, the, the you know we the red tape red lines where we drawing them in the sand. Baseball, I was confident was coming back after this whole little snafu, and even Bryce Harper came out and said that's my guy. I, regarding Blake Blake Schnell, a little little concerned we might not get baseball this year, just a little. Yeah, I mean it's the clock's ticking heavily. I mean it, it's I don't know, man. I, I just hate all of this. I, I was saying today at work, I just. I need some type of sports, something. I mean, 
that for me personally, thank God I'm an MMA fan because the UFC is back, and that's that's been my saving grace. This past week has been amazing. There's been three fights in the past two weekends, and it's just it's been my absolute saving grace in all of this. Um, I think that for MMA fans, or maybe not even hardened MMA fans, but maybe just someone that was interested in it, it has definitely been a breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. And I think it comes at a great time, too. Like, the weather's getting nicer, and I think people are going to become a little bit more positive about the situation because it's no doubt that being locked away during the cold and you're stuck in your room all day, it probably led to some really negative connotations from people regarding the future of what was going to happen, not only with sports, but just globally. Everything in general, yeah. And I think that the weather coming back, you get an MMA fights. Heck, you even had NASCAR that that came back. Yeah. Uh, you have baseball in, in was it? I believe Seoul in South Korea, mm-hmm. or maybe it is Japan. I, I forget which one. There's definitely some things that we've gotten back that was like we'll take anything we can get, yeah. and that's what we've gotten. Yeah, there's there's little glimmers of hope, little glimmers of hope, and I think. One of the big reasons why that's easing a lot of people's minds, including my mind, is that those little glimmers of hope means that it might turn into something bigger down the line. Because um, once once one sport breaks that door down and starts opening up events again, the other ones are going to follow relatively quickly. So now that even if they're so small, right, like you said, like like baseball in, in South Korea or Japan, um, the, the UFC, MMA, they're relatively smaller. But the fact that they're happening means that things are slowly starting to return to normal. It'll take a lot more longer of a time, don't get me wrong, but the signs are there. And I think another thing is not just the whole, as as one comes back, they'll all come back, but there's been little things in between that time as we wait for things to come back that I think have really helped people. For example, The Last Dance aired its final two episodes last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that you're not much of a basketball fan, so did you get a chance to watch them? I was waiting until they finished to be able to binge all of them. I'm not a big basketball guy, but I am a huge documentary guy. If there's an interesting documentary story about a coal mining feud from the 1800s, I'm all there, <laughs> dude. Like I'm uh, seriously, I love it. I love any type of documentary. So, I'm really much looking forward to it. I was just waiting for it to fully finish before I started. Um so now after last night, I plan on watching it. So, I'll tell you this right now. One of the biggest things that I took away from this documentary is it is a bad day to be a LeBron James fan because those documentaries and every part as each as each moment passed in the documentaries and you hear more about the great stories of the battles between Jordan and Isaiah Thomas and Reggie Miller and pizza being delivered by five separate guys to one room and that's how <laughs> Michael Jordan got the flu for his famous flu game you realize that Michael Jordan very well could be and probably should be regarded as the greatest player to ever step on an NBA court. Now, I say this, now, and then in 20 years, when the LeBron James 10-part documentary comes out, I'm going to completely reverse courses and be like, nope, it's it's LeBron. It's always been LeBron. Well, well here's the thing that that has actually made me a little bit more hesitant in watching the documentary, um, is that I found out that Michael Jordan himself is one of the major executive producers. Yes, he is, and that's something that a lot of people are kind of, they've some people have raised their eyebrows I, at that. Me being one of them, I do not like that. Um, in order to tell the truth of a story, the subjects of that story cannot be involved. Now, because you haven't seen it, I should tell you without giving anything away, there are parts where Michael is not presented in a flat, like he is yeah. presented in a very bad light. I've heard that, yeah. Uh, I'm sure you've heard about the whole he didn't let certain players eat, yeah, you know, yeah. and how, how tough he was on certain players, and yeah, now because he I wanted to win say, and whatnot. Yeah, I will say this: if you found out that Tua was preventing Devontae Parker from eating, and the Dolphins went on to win four Super Bowls, would you feel that bad about Devontae Parker being stripped of his eating? You wouldn't care. I would. Bulls no, fan, no, I think, you think I would. Bulls fans give a crap that Michael Jordan wasn't letting Horace Grant eat. Come on. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, if they do at the time, we, we don't know. They might have. Um, but I think, you know, me, I don't know. I honestly don't know how to answer that because I think to myself, I would definitely think he's he's a he's a d bag. He's not a good guy. Clearly, um, I would not like Tua as a person. I would not really like him as a man as much um yeah but but those parades though but those parades though those rings baby you know those tom <laughs> brady tears those patriot tears um is what i would really be after but 
but yeah, it would it would absolutely sour me on him. Um, I mean, there's a, but there's here's the thing: if you delve into any of your heroes, right, especially the people that are, are determined as great, you're gonna find some things you're not gonna like. The skeletons are always there. You're always gonna find skeletons in someone's closet. You're telling, listen, Tom Brady's got some skeletons in that closet. Oh yes, oh yeah. The treatment of Jimmy Garoppolo, I think, is probably one of the more highly notable ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and Belichick, there's a, a camera crew back there. It, it would come out, but I think Tom, Tom, there's a reason why Tom is a very private individual, and I think that might have something to do with it. Yeah, listen, I I completely agree. At the same time, if I found out that Carson Wentz was telling Alshon Jeffrey to, you know, he couldn't get his pudding after lunch, and then the Eagles went on to win three more Super Bowls, I'd be like, yo, Carson. I'm now going to stop eating pudding now just because of what you did. <laughs> I'll never have another spoonful of pudding again in my life because you told Alshon Jeffrey he can't have his pudding, and then Alshon cried to Josina Anderson. I was going to say, I, I think he would tell Alshon not to eat his pudding because uh, because Alshon's been talking to the media a little bit too much. That would be the reason why he, why he would tell He just goes up to Alshon, slaps the pudding out of his hand, and he's, he's just like, I'm tired of you talking to Josina about me. So therefore, you don't done. get your pudding now. You're done. So speaking of players, you mentioned this to me before we started recording. Radko Gudis, the former Philadelphia Flyer and now current Washington Capital, was kind of critical of the idea of even returning to hockey. Not necessarily because he doesn't want to return to hockey, but it had more to do with the fact of the hypocrisy of the yeah. NHL. Do you want to kind of go into that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, yeah. So, so pretty much, like, obviously I think most people relatively know that 2018 there was the Winter Olympics. NHL players did not play in the Winter Olympics for the first time in, I want to say, since the 80s. Um and they allowed it to be only be amateurs. Now, they're doing it, and they they said the NHL did it under the guise of safety, that they don't want their players getting hurt and then coming back to the NHL and not being able to produce for the NHL teams. And at first, it's you, you hear that and you think, you know what, that's a pretty noble reason. That's a, that's a solid reason. I think they should play you know, in, in, in the Olympics, but at the same time, I understand where the owners are coming from. But now, Radko Gudas brings up a very valid point with this whole COVID-19 coronavirus issue where they're talking about bringing back the 2014 format or bringing in the 2014 format, um, allowing them to play. Meanwhile, a global pandemic is going on. And he made the point of, if you're going to tell us that we can't play during the Olympics because of safety, then we shouldn't be able to play now. And he makes a very valid point. And his point, I don't think, I think a lot of people are, are taking it the wrong way. I think a lot of people are hearing it and they're hearing that he just doesn't want to come back to play hockey. I think if you hear, I think if you think of any hockey player, any athlete in general, doesn't want to come back and play their sport right now, that's absolutely ludicrous. It's ridiculous. These, this is what they're born to do. This is what they love to do. They dedicated their entire life to this sport. You think they don't want to play? Do you think they're 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 having fun just sitting down, not doing anything? It's ridiculous. The the reality of it is, is that he makes a very very good point that the NHL and his argument doesn't really care about their safety. If they did, then they wouldn't make them play now. What they care about is their money and that they don't want other organizations making money off of their players, and that's where the Olympics came in. I think the whole not allowing players to play in the Olympics is absolutely ridiculous. The The Olympics are country versus country, right? The country's best athletes competing against one another. But because... Canada and the United States best athletes are so good that they play in a different league. They aren't allowed to play and, and compete to be the best in the world. That's ridiculous. And I think Gudas is kind of making that point to the NHL. I don't think this is a thing about the, the coronavirus. I think this is a thing about the Olympics. I think Gudas wanted to make this to ha- take his opportunity to take a shot at the NHL and say, you didn't care about our safety with the Olympics. This was a thing about control. When Radko said what he said, when you read that tweet to me, or, or essentially, I don't know if you actually read the verbatim tweet, but the gist of where you were going, what I took from that was he believes that the NHL only cares about the money right now, which I think would be a very fair statement to make. Yeah. And I also, I didn't look at it as much as from the Olympic standpoint as from a current season standpoint. I think that anyone that believes that the NHL, when they come back, is doing so under the expertise of health officials that things will be okay would be greatly misguided there is no way to know how protected these players will be how sick these players can get or who and who uh, who will and who will not get sick 
There's just no way to know. Yeah. They could come back playing tomorrow, and then they find out in a couple days that Zach Parise, I don't even know if he's still a member of the Minnesota Wild, or Alexander Ovechkin has the virus, and he caught it while flying to one of those eight or nine select locations. So right. the idea that Radko isn't, is saying this because he just doesn't want to play, because he's being a selfish guy, would be an unbelievably simple-minded way of looking at it, and quite frankly, just a selfish way of looking at it. Yeah. Because let's be real. Yeah. You want to see the NHL come back, not because you know you, you aren't con- like, oh, okay, we're going to bring the NHL back for, for the good of humanity. You want it for yourself. You want something to sit down at 7 o'clock, turn on you know NBC Sports Network and watch yeah. the Capitals take on the Penguins or the Flyers take on the Penguins or something along those lines. You don't give a crap about the health at that point when you're sitting down to watch it. Yeah. Radko Gudis is thinking about his health. He's right. thinking about the health of his teammates, the right. health of the NHL. And it's it's a tough call. I see it from both sides. I definitely understand and sympathize with the NHL needing to make money. All all businesses, all leagues, every small little business, they all need to make money. Yeah. So it's hard for me to go full-blown aggressive on the NHL for wanting to do this. But at the same time, anyone that would go after Radko Gudis because they think he just doesn't want to play, that's just a very, very dumb and illogical take on it. Yeah. No, I, I would absolutely agree. That's that's pretty much the best way to put it. Um, and I, yeah, I, I pretty much went on a, a little bit of a rant there, but that's that's more of an Olympic in tuned rant. I've felt that way ever since they stopped doing ever since 2018 and they said that no no NHL players can play in the Olympics. That's that's a personal Which is a issue dumb, with me. A yeah. Dumb thing. Ugh. I've never understood that before, mm-hmm. and I will never understand it. Not to mention it was the, fun. The, the it was KHL? fun to watch them play. The KHL exists. I mean, so Pavel Datsuk can play. Okay, that's right. Whatever. All right, that's fair. <laughs> I will never forget the 2010 Olympics. I will never forget the 2014 Olympics. I, never, never. So much fun. It was. It was amazing. Yeah. Ryan Miller became a national hero in the United States in in a couple days when the Buffalo Sabers went to play the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2010 after the Olympics, and Ryan Miller got a standing ovation from the Pittsburgh crowd because of what he had done for that USA team. That is how special the Olympics can be to Americans and obviously to the rest of the world: the Canadians, yeah. the Russians, the Chinese, the, the the Japanese, the Germans, the Austrians, everyone. So I thought it was really unfortunate that they're not letting guys like Alexander Ovechkin or Claude Giroux get back to playing in the Olympics because in in reality, when you see Sidney Crosby scoring for Team Canada, that's a cool feeling to watch happen. Yeah, no, it is absolutely. I mean, and and to talk about heroes too, you got to think about T.J. Oshie. I mean, he's the most oh the biggest the most one notable. most recently. Yeah, I mean that that shootout. That's what he's known for now is shootouts. You can't start a shootout with the Washington Capitals without somebody mentioning T.J. Oshie. I think every time the Flyers have gotten into a shootout with the Capitals when they ha- since they've had T.J. Oshie, the first thing you're reminded of, well, T.J. Oshie had that heroic Olympic shootout. Yeah. And, and it was so funny, too, because I remember when I was watching that, and I was like, are they just going to send the same shooter out there every <laughs> single time? I knew T- who T.J. Oshie was at the time, but not many households might have. They no. knew who he was after that game. Yeah. I mean, I knew who he was. Like, as a hockey fan, you know who he is, but you know, you know him for who he is. He's a second-line, first-line player. Very good. Not not amazing. He's not going to lead your team in scoring, but he'll get the job done. He's a big body. But that, yeah, that put him on the map. That put him to the point where every every household in the United States knew who T.J. Oshie is. I still don't know why the St. Louis Blues let him go. I, I still, to this day, don't really understand that decision. But regardless, I think that the Radko Gouda situation, he makes a phenomenal point. It's anyone that disagrees with this point. If you're disagreeing with the sake of him calling him selfish – leave the room yeah please go for a walk it's beautiful outside go take your dog doggy for a walk let's listen to some acdc don't talk about hockey just just don't tune in and another thing too with how you were talking about the safety and 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 trying to bring these these teams back and you know we don't know if if someone's going to get sick if how sick they're going to get you look at at the ufc right and and a lot dana white who's the president of the ufc keeps keeps toting that that he's setting an example for other sports organizations but it's not the same Right, because when you have a fight like that, you have individual fighters. You can isolate them. Like you, you can have them have their own rooms. You can have them. Yeah, have fun isolating the fifty-three building. football players. Exactly. You, like for example, how the UFC did it is they had two fighters in the locker room, two fighters fighting in the cage. When the fighters were done in the cage, 
They would leave. They would leave the arena. The two fighters that were in the locker room would then go from the locker room to the cage, and they would bring two fighters from the hotel to the next locker room, and they were just rotating like that. No sport, no other major sport organization can only have four of its players in, the, in a building at once. It, it, it's no, just, it's just not going to work. They're going to be around each other. There's just there's way more opportunity for people to get sick and contract the, the virus through other sports organizations than it is with MMA. There are precautions each league can take. They will be they would be taxing. They would not be the most fun. Uh, I the first thing that comes to mind is players getting their temperature taken the day of a game and then right before they take the playing field. Yeah. Uh, it's not fun. It's not easy, and it's going to be a hassle. It's going to be. There's a lot of different things that you might need to be precautious about. There's no guarantee that the NFL starts on time, mm-hmm. and I know a lot of people that don't think it will, and I know some people that do think it will. I'm in the I'm in the camp of I'm very hopeful that it will be able to start reasonably on time. Now. Ideally, what happens is we either find out that this virus is weakening and that it'll be fought off easier by our immune systems. I have no idea how we would find that out. That's just that's just me right, right. hoping that for some reason the virus just starts to die. <laughs> right. Or an, a vaccine is created. Now, there's no guarantee of a vaccine ever being created. And it's ultimately going to have to be a disease that the world just comes to live with. It, it, I, I do never think it'll fully go away. But at the same time, no. Dana White, with all due respect, come on. Come on. Yeah, I agree that it's two guys wrestling essentially with each other. And yes, germs can be spread very easily between those two people. But it's a little different. Get in the middle of a, of a run right up the middle between an offensive and a defensive line. Yeah. That is a petri dish for a virus like this, which yeah. is spread so easily. People forget just how easily this virus is spread. It's not like common cold where, oh, it sneezed on you, but I actually was able to manage through it. This, if someone coughs on you and they have this virus, there is an excellent chance that you end up contracting it, whether you are asymptomatic or you get the worst of it. Yeah, and and there's, a, again, depending on your age group, depending on your, your, your pre-existing conditions, there's there's a very good chance you end up in the hospital or worse as a result of it. So yeah, it's very it's very different. It, it, there's nothing like this before, and, and we're we're seeing the results of having to deal with something we've never dealt with before. So what's the story? I, I have to know what's the story of uh, the hatred of the Baltimore Ravens, oh, yeah. the te- the team that gave the Miami Dolphins their first win in 2007. I would think that you would love a team like that after something like that. No, no. Um, so at first it starts with the fact that. I had a little bit of a dislike with for them, right? But it wasn't it wasn't a huge dislike. It was more of a, just a friendly rivalry, because uh, I have cousins that live in Maryland. Um, so so one of them, it's funny, like half their family, like my aunt and my one cousin, are Dolphin fans. My uncle and my other cousin are Baltimore Raven fans. Um, so there's always been a lot of debate, family reunions, that kind of stuff, and they've been relatively successful in the 2000s, and the Miami Dolphins were not, as we already know. Um, As we so already know, that's kind of where the rivalry kind of began. That's where that dislike started. Um, but where where it really took off was um, I went to a, a Miami Dolphin Baltimore game in Baltimore, um, and it was hands down probably the worst experience I've ever had with any other sports fans in my life. Really, Baltimore um, yeah. fans were hassling Miami fans. Oh yeah, yeah. So you have to go through this thing called. Um, oh, what is it I've been the- to M&T Bank Stadium as as a press member. I've never mm-hmm. uh, I've never gone in as a fan, but I, I mean, it's a. I always thought it was a beautiful stadium when I went last year. It's a it's a great stadium. It really it's it is a beautiful stadium. But I don't know if if you took part in it, but there's a thing called the Raven Walk that you kind of have to do, um, or we at least had to do, where it's just a long walk up to the stadium, and as you're walking up there, you're just getting heckled and bamboozled, and that's that's that comes with any game. I'm not really too upset about that. But where my hate for Baltimore really came in, it wasn't really their fans. It was during the game, um, Channing Crowder, right, who was a Miami Dolphin linebacker at the time. I've met him multiple times at multiple games. Easily the, the nicest football player I've ever met. Not that every football player is mean. He just happened to be the nicest one. He was extremely down to earth. Every time we met him, he was just the nicest guy. He would stop and have a conversation with every single fan that he met. That's one. That's awesome. He he really was. A, he was a great person. Um, and seeing, I don't remember who it was. I want to say it was Vontae Leach. 
um, but I can't quite remember. I know it was Baltimore Ravens fullback at the time. Spit in his face, and there was no penalty call whatsoever. That put a pretty sour taste in my mouth. And pretty much from that point on, when I see one of the my, my heroes, one of the nicest guys I've ever met, get a literal loogie spit into his face on slow motion on a jumbo screen, and there's no personal foul penalty, nothing. There's only a penalty on him for unsportsmanlike conduct because he reacted to getting spit in the face. Yeah, that put a, that put a sour taste in my mouth. So pretty much from then on, I could not stand Baltimore. And of course, leaving the game, we were getting heckled and all kinds of stuff. And having that in the back of my mind, it, it, it just, just made it, it for it a very sour away. It, it, it was the amalgamation of just a bunch of... I didn't know that yeah. about Vonta Leach. I, I, you know, I, he's was actually a pretty popular Baltimore Raven. Ra- Ravens fans like their fullbacks. Kyle's use check was mm-hmm. there. I know uh, Vonta Leach was there, but yeah. that's an interesting story. My, I don't, I don't think I participated in the Ravens walk. I went, I, had, I mean, I had a suit on, so no fan would have thought because I went for a Ravens Patriots game, and I'm, and at the time, I believe I would probably Patriots, enjoy that. I would probably enjoy that. Yeah. So when I went to that game, uh, I, I par, I had, I had a really good parking spot too because Westwood One Radio All treats right. there treats their staff members quite yeah, well. P style, dude. So I get I get there and I'm walking and there's a lot of Ravens fans. There weren't too I, I didn't see too many Patriots fans at first, but they certainly showed up eventually. And I I got I know a few Ravens fans. They've been nothing but wonderful to me. Chase Yerker is a huge Ravens fan. Yeah, it's the thing. Like I don't want to say the fans were bad. Like we were getting heckled, but they, I get heckled at every game. I also happen to be like 10 years old, so that that played a part in it as well. But, but yeah, like in terms of Ravens fans, every Raven fan I've met has been a, a great person for the most part. I don't have a bad story about Raven fans in particular, but go on. I don't think, yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't even say that Ravens fans even have the reputation of, they're not certainly regarded yeah. like Eagles fans are, but yeah, yeah. the funniest thing in the world I saw after the game was over, and the Ravens won that game, and the Patriots, oh, they looked dead during that game. They looked like they had not known what hit them. There was a uh, Patriots fan, this came out on video, it was a Patriots fan after a Ravens touchdown was crying, <laughs> and he's like, "Super play, super play," and play. everyone, everyone's like mocking this guy, like, "This is privilege. This is the, like the most Patriots <laughs> privilege video we have ever seen," and it, oh, it was hilarious just from all because again, these fans they expect that they're always gonna win every <laughs> single game. And after the game, there was a Patriots fan outside the stadium crying over the phone to his girlfriend about how, like, he was treated so badly and everything. Like, I didn't even stop to hear the whole conversation. I just kind of heard it in passing. But I got at this big, like, this snickering look on my face. I'm like, man, it is great when they lose. And so that's, like, my positive experience at MNT Bank Stadium because they beat the crap out of the Patriots in that game. But it is, I tell you what, when I think of Dolphins-Ravens, it's unfortunate for you that I think of this moment. I think of Kiko Alonso going oh, yeah. right at Joe Flacco, and all hell break. You got John Harbaugh screaming at Kiko Alonso. Jeremy Macklin's yeah. going after Kiko, and you look at the replay. I've probably watched that video a hundred times, and probably seventy times I'm like, "That was he. That was unbelievable that he could do that." And thirty times I'm like, "I don't know what else he would have been able to do. I don't know where you stood on that play, but I remember Chase wanting to strangle the life yeah. out of out of Kiko Alonso. I, if if I was a Baltimore fan, I, I would have felt the same way too when I first saw the play. Absolutely, my first thought would be that he needs to be kicked out of the league. Because um, like you're gonna, because Jamie Collins, he dives at Tua's hip. You're good. Right. You're gonna you're gonna want to destroy that. Exactly. Man. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I feel pretty much how you said it right there. Where seventy percent of the time, when you would watch it, you would think, "Yeah, that was not a good hit." But thirty percent of the time, there are moments, yeah, where I, I when I see that play, I think to myself, "I mean, if, if Kiko isn't already going after him, does Joe slide?" Well, I don't know. I don't know. The, these things the also happen. Quarterbacks. Yeah, and and these things happen again. At the same time, it happens so fast. It's a football game. I mean, it, it is it is lightning quick. You make these split second re- reactions and decisions and you just go with them you don't really think about them you don't think about their effects overall i remember hearing bill clement describe the game of hockey one time saying that the game of hockey is a series of split second reactions and split second decisions and it, the team that makes the right ones wins the game the players that make the right ones they win the battles and i think that goes for any sport in general it's so fast it's so quick especially a football play like that that is it easy to call him a scumbag and say that it was a dirty hit and that he should be kicked out of the league? Yeah. Was it a dirty hit? 
I think it was a dirty hit. Was it absolutely intentional that he was trying to hurt Joe Flacco and trying to dive at his head when he was going down? I don't think it was fair to say. No, this isn't Vontez Perfect. That's that's the guy that goes after players on purpose. Exactly. I'm glad you mentioned Bill Clement because we just had the anniversary of the Flyers completing their incredible comeback against the Boston Bruins in 2010. uh, uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia just replayed the game a few nights ago mm-hmm. and it's it's one of those it's all that game is always going to be a where were you when Gagne scored the goal where yep. were you when uh when when they completed the comeback there's so many points in that game there's so many players in that run that I remember so fondly but Claude Giroux's minute and a half of just hogging the puck down in the corner as time is wasting away late in the third period the Flyers are already up by one might honestly be the greatest shift he's ever had as a Philadelphia Flyer. And I say this with the awareness of Game 6 against Pittsburgh, the right. first 32 seconds of that game. I, I just I was re-watching that game, and it just brought back such great memories of that whole series. Because I'll never forget, after, after they won Game 4, Ganya had the overtime goal. I was walking to middle school the next day. I was going through my garage, and I'm thinking about how it's now 3-1. to one, And I said to myself... You know, it's it is possible. Like I know it doesn't happen, but a team could come back down three zero. It yeah. could happen. Yeah. And I always thought that if they won that game five, that would be if they had won. If, I was like, if they win game five, Boston's going to be in big trouble, big, big, big trouble. And that's exactly what happened. And for those who don't remember, if you don't, if you didn't watch the other night, Michael Layton or Brian Boucher rather got hurt in game five. The Flyers yeah. were up, I believe, one to nothing, or maybe it was two to nothing at that point, and Boucher got hurt. Michael Layton comes in and completes the rest of that shutout. And then game six comes, and uh, Layton was incredible. Mike Richards had the opening goal of game six. Danny Briere scored this incredibly weird goal, which he fired the puck at the net. It was blocked. It comes right back to his stick, and then he fires it right over the (laughs) arm or forearm of Tuka Rask, who, by the way, this is young Tuka Rask, a phenomenal young goaltender that the Flyers started to slay. Game seven, they're down 3 nothing. You're thinking, all right, well, it was fun. It was fun. Yeah. And then just this little tiny goal by James Van Riemsdyk sets forth the greatest comeback of all time, which I didn't even mention the greatest timeout of all time. Right, yeah. And and it started, and that timeout started with, with Peter Lavi. That's it's my favorite moment. It's arguably my favorite moment where you see him, yeah, saying, one goal, we need one goal. And he's right, right? You mentioned it with that game five. When you win that game five right there, suddenly Boston starts to sweat a little bit. Because they start to think to themselves, there's no way this is happening. There's no way that they're going to come back from 3-0. There's just no way. The same thing happened with that goal. James Van Riemsdyk scores that goal. And it was a fluky goal. It was a very it was, it weird goal. Was, it was an ugly, ugly goal. Yeah. As Jim as Jim Jack, or, or as Bill Clement said, ugly around this time of the year is really pretty. Yeah. yeah. And with that one, when that one goal went in, like Peter Laviolette said, get that one goal, suddenly Boston started to sweat again. Where they started to think, it's now real. Suddenly, it, the comeback is now real, and the fact that it's ten percent real, and that ten percent was in the Boston Bruin players' minds, it's it just took over. And every we, single the goal the Flyers scored leading up to leading up to tying the game, you've got the fluke goal by uh, James Van Riemsdyk. The second goal, Scott Hartnell scored from one of the most impossible. So that is an impossible angle to score from. Yeah, it and was on the goal line, pretty much. It, it pretty much it was on yeah it was on the red line, and then Danny Briere firing through the middle or th- through the slot of the offensive zone like like he was shot out of a cannon. And how doing the, they let him do that still puzzles me to this day. You know I'll who Danny Briere is. You know how fast he is, and he just went right in. I'll tell you Ugh. what happened, and it's it's pretty much what what really killed Boston throughout that series. The Flyers' speed became a real problem for Boston. Boston was big and powerful, very, mm-hmm. very physical, but they didn't have a lot of great speed. Players like Briere and Richards and even Gagne, who, could, who had a breakaway goal in Game 5, the speed of the Flyers became extremely apparent. So when Briere shot through the slot, the, you caught the Bruins extremely flat-footed. He wrapped around. It goes off of a Bruin and then into the net. It really was... Such an indicator of where the two teams were at that point. You knew that the Flyers had them by their throats. And really, the goal, the game-winning goal shouldn't have even come with Gagne's goal. It was a very obvious thing that James Marine cycle on that toe drag. That puck ended up in the net. I understand why they didn't call it a goal, but everyone knows that that was a goal. 
everyone knows. We saw it again, right, against against Washington this past season. I think it was against Washington. Oh, my God, um, yeah. Where, okay, listen, I get it. They need to see a separation between the red line and the puck. But my point is, right, you see the red line. You see that there's no puck on it. Where can it be? There's only one possible option. There's only one possible place that that puck can be, and that's, I don't know, behind the red line? Therefore, making it a goal? Brady Who would have thought? Brady just sliding his pad out like that. I was like, you, you scumbag. Oh, he knew what he You absolute. It was justice the Flyers tied the game yeah. pretty soon after. That was justice. Here's the thing, though. If I was hopeful, I would have done the same exact thing. I would have been, nope, no, 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 that never went in. Listen, he's, he's, he's a great goalie. It's a <laughs> yeah, shame the year is. that he's had, but, you know, he's mm-hmm. a great goalie. He is. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's. I look back at so many great moments in Flyers history, and I've been posting on my Snap story like all these great sports moments. I've been loving those, by the way. I've been I'm glad you have. Looking forward to those. Those have been very entertaining for me, dude. I really did you? Like I, those. I posted that Marino one just for you as well. The, oh yeah. Oh, his, his touchdown yeah. against the Patriots. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, to Mark Clayton, right? Yeah. Yep. It was the uh, his first game back from the Achilles tear. Oh man, it's a beautiful pass, dude. It it's a it's a picture. It's they have the, the full game of that posted. Pass. That was more, like, I, I forgot that the first couple drives weren't really going Marino's way, and the Patriots had taken the lead. And it's so funny, because when Marino passed that, made that pass, that was angry Dan Marino. He was mm-hmm. like, all right, I'm <laughs> yeah. back. This is my game. Everyone, you're all screwed now. And, he and got, that's what he did. He screwed, like, five touchdown passes. He was always better pissed off. He was always better pissed off. Yeah. That's how I feel about Carson Wentz. There's two yeah. types of Carson Wentz that are great. Yeah. When Carson Wentz is... <laughs> When Carson Wentz is not fooling around with his wife, and he, <laughs> they okay. they call him no they call him no sex Carson on Twitter. No sex Carson is the best Carson. Right. And I'll never forget against laser Denver. Focused. He's oh very laser focused. <laughs> as as Mickey once said in Rocky, women weaken legs. <laughs> but against the Denver Broncos in 2017, Carson Wentz took a cheap shot. I forget which Denver Bronco did it. The next, like he got up, he had this look on it. He was like, he was mad, very angry look from Carson Wentz, a look you typically do not see from him. Next play, drops a dime right in the bucket to Trey Burton for a <laughs> touchdown to make it like twenty-four to six. Right. And I, I saw that. I was like, if Carson Wentz plays mad, you're in big trouble. Yeah. You get that man mad, he's going to make you pay. And I think that's what you honestly saw from him down the line of the season. Players that play mad, great players are the ones you want to not get on their bad side. LeBron yeah, play- James? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a great LeBron example. James is a great example of that. He's a great example. He's, he's I think, probably the best example for that in, in terms of modern sports, yeah. Um, I'll never forget Game 7 against the Boston Celtics in the 2017 Eastern Conference Final. At one point, Jason Tatum made this big uh, basket, and I, I don't know if, what the score was. I think Boston was winning. But he kind of like turned around and like did like a like oh he's showing you up to LeBron James mm-hmm. yeah and LeBron James just looks at him and I was like yeah you screwed up you should not yeah oh yeah awoken the beast and I think that's obviously what makes him the best and I think that's also one of the reasons why I made Jordan the best when he played is he had that same kind of egotism you could say you um, need to have it yeah you do where where they think they're the best. And if you think that you're better than them, you better look out, my friend, because they will come extremely hard and bring the game. Do things that you didn't even think was possible on the court, in the field, wherever. Here's a great example. When the Falcons went up 28-3 to and the camera panned to Tom Brady and he just had this look on his face, I remember someone told me, I forget which friend of mine it was, I, um, I think it might have been someone I worked with on Tech Crew, he said he saw that look in Brady's face, and the first thing he thought to himself was, "Oh, Atlanta better score another touchdown. They just yeah. they they better keep the foot on the pedal." And I tell you, these players, you, you can only keep them. Not, if you, I'll add to your point. If you think you're better than an all timer, you better play like you're better than an all timer. Yeah. Because they're not just going to go down. The Eagles Super Bowl against the Patriots when we went up, I think it was twenty-two to twelve going into halftime, or no, it was fifteen to three at one point. I was like, all right, all right, we've got the 12-point lead. This team never bleeds. We don't blow any leads this season. And then Brady, boom, boom, boom. It's 15-12. to 12. I'm like, oh, my God. He's yeah. right on our tail. Yeah, and it doesn't take long for those guys who are extremely good. And another example is Aaron Rodgers, where oh, I wouldn't yeah, say he plays he, he plays great mad, but I would say he plays great when 
when you think you're you've got the game won, right? Like that clip you sent to me the other day, I the Dallas Cowboys, where there's a minute thirteen seconds left. Dak Prescott runs it into the end zone. Dallas is freaking out. He's celebrating. Him and Zeke are doing all kinds of crap. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, you know who you're playing against, right? You know he's over there looking at that. This is Aaron Rodgers. He has a minute and 13 seconds left with a timeout. He could score two touchdowns if he wants to, my friend. So <laughs> you gonna, better, you better bring dog. it. Seriously. I'll never forget watching that crowd celebrate. And I was watching the game downstairs in Rocktown, and, and I'm like, oh, boy. Minute 13, it's a three-point game. He literally did this to you like four <laughs> months ago. <laughs> I wouldn't be celebrating just yet. Yeah, he's he's the fuel of a lot of Dallas Cowboys uh, fans' nightmares. Aaron Rodgers hates the Dallas Cowboys. My my old boss Seth, he is convinced that Aaron Rodgers has a personal grudge against the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> because every time he plays them, he just does things that are so unfair and so crazy that it just ruins his night. But that play, like the Jared Cook catch in the playoff game, Dallas mm. like we tied it. We're gonna get to overtime. We're gonna have a chance to win this. And then Rodgers makes that pass to Jared Cook on the sideline to set up the game-winning field goal. I, I swear, sometimes I wonder if he ever looks up at where Jerry's sitting and going, yeah, you like that, don't you? Yeah, yeah. You're going home, and you're not going home happy. Because I'm that, Aaron Rodgers. That pass, too, is like one of one of my reasons for I, I I'm not super religious, but I kind of think the devil exists because there's no way you can make a pass like that without selling your soul to the devil. Over and over and over again, like Aaron Rodgers does. I mean, that pass, he's borderline on his knees being tackled, and he rifles it 40 yards downfield in a window the size of pretty much of a football, and he hits it right on the dot. The only reason I don't think he sold his soul to the devil is because he's the master of Hail Mary. So clearly, the Mother Mary gives him a miracle every time he really wants it. True. You look. This is we're gonna get into this whole we're about to get into a whole conversation of like the best throws and the best plays in NFL history. But let me just make this clear: the best throw that Aaron Rodgers ever made was his hail mary to Jeff Janis in the end zone against the Arizona Cardinals to tie the game up in the 2015 playoffs. Mm-hmm. The best throw I've ever yeah. seen. He's falling backwards. He has the arm shape to get it up in the end zone. The Cardinals blitzed. I don't know why the Cardinals blitzed, <laughs> but they blitz. Rodgers makes that play. Ultimately, the Packers lose the game because Larry Fitzgerald is just magic. And you have kind of forget about that play a little bit. But players like that, when they make a play like that, they're not doing it in a calm manner. They're doing it in a, you know, damn the torpedoes. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a desperation play. And, and for him to be so in tune and so good over and over again in desperation plays... Just shows to why he's as good as he is, why he's a three time MVP player. So Is Phillip Rivers a Hall of Fame quarterback? I would say no. I'm on the I, I think he is. I, I stats I, wise, I, I, I can see why. I can he see has why. Been a top, yeah. Other than last year, I think he has been a top five quarterback in the mm-hmm. NFL for a yeah. long time. So I think the long you don't need to win a Super Bowl to become a Hall of Famer. Everyone knows right. that. Dan Fouts is in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Dan Marino's in the Hall of Fame. Dan Marino, Jim Kelly, all those guys. Yeah. So, Philip Rivers, initially when he came to the NFL, it, his you know his mouth did a lot of the, you know, he did a lot of talking. But what he was able to do with that San Diego team and how good he has been and how consistent he has been, I think makes him a Hall of Fame quarterback. Mm-hmm. I, I think, listen, the Giants might have won the Super Bowls with Eli Manning, they have the same team with Phillip Rivers as their quarterback. I still think they get the job done, and I think they win those two Super Bowls over the New England Patriots. Oh, Phillip Rivers is definitely the better quarterback between him and, and Eli Manning. I mm-hmm. agree. I agree 100%. I agree 1,000%. Um, and I, I would say, honestly, but before this season, and even after this season, but before this season, I was one of the, I would be one of the first people to tell you that I think that Phillip Rivers is the most underrated quarterback in the league. I, I'm right there with you where I think – there are certain tiers, right? Like we can make a tier list of, of elite, whatever quarterbacks, and I think he could be the in the top tier, if not be one of the best in the second to top tier. 
I think he's absolutely forgotten in the landscape of the NFL. Whenever yeah. in his prime, it was all about Manning and Brady and, and guys in, in like Favre and Rodgers and even and, players and, like Tony Romo. In large part because because of San Diego, because of where he was. And I think that might have been a big thing that was on Archie Manning's mind when Eli Manning was drafted there, which is a big reason, I think, why he didn't want him going there. Man, I'll tell you right now, Arch Manning is coming out of, uh, you know, he's in high school right now. They got another Manning in the in the bloodline, <laughs> and he's he looks good. Oh, I would pay money to see the, Sandy, the Los Angeles Chargers get the number one pick the year that Arch Manning's <laughs> coming out and draft him and be like, and you know what? This time we're not even trading him. <laughs> he's playing. Just what are you going to do? Sit Set there. him to the XFL? <laughs> have fun. I'd, yeah, I'd pay for I'd pay to see that too. That'd be oh, great. I would love it. That Just would like be Eli hilarious. Manning going, oh God, don't do that this. That would be hilarious. <laughs> I think that's a great way to kind of leave things off. Arch Manning being drafted. Arch the Manning being drafted by the Los Angeles Chargers in the the story comes full circle. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, and then Arch Manning leads them to three Super Bowls. <laughs> For the Fly Guys Podcast, my name is Justin Goodhart. This has been Cameron Klein. You can follow us on Twitter at GoodhartJustin and at CameronKlein15. We will be back next week talking more. Hopefully we have more information regarding the 24 NHL playoff format, the 2014 playoff format. Uh, hopefully we'll have more grand stories about why Arch Manning will be a Los Angeles Charger. Cameron, <laughs> as always, great to, great talking to you. Uh, any, any Anything you want to add? Uh, other than go Flyers, you know, the typical... Yeah, typical yeah the typical go Flyers. Yeah, that'll do it. Be safe, be happy, and enjoy the fine weather. Hopefully it doesn't actually rain this week. The weathermen have been wrong for like the last month and a half, so I'm hopeful that they'll be continue to be wrong. Have a great rest of your week, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>